Psalm 138. Uh, It's David speaking here. Let's read this together this morning. Psalm 138 says, A Psalm of David. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Let's pray. Lord, may you bless the reading of your word today. May these these words, Lord, come from your Holy Spirit. May they not be mine, but yours. May each one of our hearts and minds be open to what your word would have for us today. May we be able to look around us and see all the many blessings that we have to be thankful for every single day. And may we constantly give you the praise for those many blessings. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um, so here, here's, this is a, obviously a Psalm of David, and we're thinking again about Thanksgiving. Uh, as we start this, there was a quote that uh, Gunner actually ran across this week. This is kind of a compilation of Gunner's sermon notes, and then what I had prepared for, because I was actually at drill and had stuff to do for the Navy and Marine Corps this weekend, so, um, and the Marine Corps ball last night. So we kind of compared notes and put together something. Uh, he found this great quote from William Law. It says, if anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness and all perfection. He must tell you to make a rule to yourself, to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. For it is certain that whatever seeming calamity happens to you, if you thank and praise God for it, you turn it into a blessing. And if there's one thing that I want you to take away today as we go through this psalm, it's that no matter what we go through, there is reason to be thankful in that circumstance. Not all of our circumstances are going to be good. In fact, a lot of them may be bad. But in the middle of that, if we can put our eyes and focus our hearts on where God is working in our lives, we will see that God is doing amazing things for us that many times we take for granted. So how does he start this psalm? He starts this psalm by saying, David says, I will give I will give you thanks with all my heart. Now, we talk a lot about all my heart. We'd say, oh, I love you with all my heart. I I sing with all my heart. I praise with all my heart is what David's saying. What does that really mean to do something, (coughs) excuse me, with all (coughs) your heart? Um, I mean, we say it, but do we really understand what it means? It means we give ourselves over to it 100% completely. And when I thought, when, when I think about worshiping God, praising God, giving thanks to God with all my heart, it, it leads to Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we find this. It says, it, it, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Where, Therefore I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. It's an, it's an expected act of worship. It's a reasonable act of worship. 
Giving ourselves to God 100% completely is part of worshiping God. And we're never going to be able to totally be grateful and thankful for the things in our lives. We're never going to be able to give him that wholehearted worship until every part of us, our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, what we do with our lives are completely focused and revolve around what God wants for our lives. And so David starts off with his focus on, I want to worship God. I want to give you thanks With all of my heart, and I believe it's with the understanding that every part of him is committed to giving God praise. And so then he continued, and and so we have to ask ourselves then, what does that mean? And I think as we work through this psalm, what we're going to see is what David means when he says, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to worship God and praise God with all of my heart. He continues on and he says, I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now, what does this mean? We know that we're told to worship only God. We're told that there's only one God, that any other God is false. But yet David here, why is he saying, I will sing praises to you before the gods? Well, what is their circumstance? Here's Israel. David's the king of Israel. And they are supposed to, they're called to worship Yahweh. They're called to worship the one God. But all around them are all these other countries. And they don't worship one God. They worship Molech and they worship uh, the Babylonian gods and they worship these gods. And, and, we, and, and so here's David saying, all those other gods don't mean anything. I'm going to put you first, God. I'm going to make sure that my worship is directed towards you. And because he understood what the first commandment said, the first commandment that God gave to his people was you shall have no other gods before me. And so all those other gods that David saw being worshipped around him were gods that could do nothing. They were gods made out of wood. They were gods that somebody said, well, I think that should be a god. And they carved it. And then they bowed to it. And then they worshipped it. And David knew that that god meant nothing. Psalm chapter 96 verse 5. Psalm 96 5 says this. In Psalm 96 5 It says, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. David understood the fact that any other thing that was set up to be worshipped was powerless. But David worshipped God because why did Psalm 96 say? Because God made the heavens. We looked at that last week, that God is all powerful. He created everything. When we see the sun and the stars and the moon and the trees, those only exist because God spoke it into existence. And so God is completely powerful. And because of that, he deserves to be worshiped before any other God. Now we may not go to our houses today and put a little shrine in our house and worship a God, which they do in, in many cultures. There's still plenty of cultures around the world that will do that. For, but for most of us who are, as Americans, we're, we're not going to have that in our house. But maybe we, we have the American dream as, as what might take the place of our total focus on praising and worshiping God. 
And so that pursuit to get that next big toy, that next bigger screen TV, that next nicer car to park in our, our driveway, um, that could take it, you know, maybe that's what keeps us from looking at what we already have parked in our driveway and saying, Lord, thank you for giving me what you've given me. Maybe it's what keeps us from looking at our house and saying, thank you for these things that you've given me because I have so much. But instead, we're looking up and instead of having God be who we're worshiping and who we're praising, we're looking around and there's something else taking his place. Yes, it's not an idol that's carved, but it might be an idol that's made in China or an idol that's made here in the U.S. that's worth a lot of money. And so idols can take on different forms. But David says, I will sing praises to you before the gods. What is it that's keeping you from putting God totally first to making him completely what your life is focused on? He goes on and he says, I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Now, in our culture, we don't understand bowing a whole lot. Um, The two years that I was in Japan, I saw a lot of bowing. Um, And there's cultures that go way beyond what Japan does. I was in uh, Thailand and uh, Beth and I were uh, standing at a hotel in Bangkok and something came on the TV. I have no idea what it was. I don't speak Thai, but they they were it was something with their king and their king is still venerated pretty much like a deity in most cases, even though even though he's really not truly in charge of the country. And uh, so he's up there in his throne wearing his little Thailand king garb and um and uh, I have no idea what they were bringing him. It looked like just an envelope with a message in it or something. But his messenger guy, it's not enough just to come, like you see in, in England or something, when they come before the Queen of England, you know, they bow, they do their thing and, and all this. We understand that. We see that sometimes. This guy gets down on all fours. By the time it crawls up to the king's throne, lays down on the floor, puts his head down and holds his hand up. That's bowing down. That's prostrating yourself before the person that you see is greater than you. And that's truly what happens in all these cultures is the bowing is, even if a senior bows, to, which the king in that case never would bow, but even if a senior bows, it's a much less of a bow. The junior person will always give the, more, the, the, the deeper bow just to show his submission to that authority. Um, so that's what David has in mind here. He's recognizing that God is the ultimate authority. God doesn't bow to David. God, David doesn't have anything to offer to God. But David comes to God and he says, I bow down to your holy temple. And what does it mean, this holy temple here? There was no temple at this time. There was a tabernacle that they moved around. And it had been moved around for 40, 50, for, uh, by this time, hundreds of years. And, um, and, and there was no temple. So what is he talking about? Every time in the Psalms, when, it, when it's brought up with the holy temple, it's speaking of the presence of God, the place of God. In other words, David said it, it's, he had turned his entire self towards focusing directly on God. I think many times the reason that we cannot truly praise God and thank him for the many blessings that we have in our life is because guess what? All the other... Ca- all the other things in our life that can get in the way are sitting right here in front of us. Instead of focusing completely on God, we're distracted by all of these other things. And many of them are good things. 
There are things like going and taking your family and having fun with your family, which are good things. There are things like uh, going and having a job, which you have to do. There's things that, um, that you know you can't control, like your health and hospital stays and doctor visits and paperwork and bills to pay and all that stuff that, for me, gets piled up on a desk in my garage... And sometimes, literal, figuratively, and maybe literally, we need to push all that stuff aside and look at God. And if we're not taking the time to sit there and push all those other concerns out of the way and look totally and solely at God and what He has done for us on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis... And say, what is it, God, that you're doing in my life? Then we are never going to be people of wholehearted praise. And that's why it's important, not just at Thanksgiving, but all during the year, to sit there and take time to push all that stuff away and focus only, as David said, towards his holy temple, towards God's presence, towards looking totally at God and what he's doing. You know, if you're trying to do two things at one time, usually it's hard to do one or the other. Um, I, I like to think that I can study really well watching TV and, and I'm not going to lie. I've done a lot of studying watching TV, but, um, to be honest, I probably study a whole lot better when I'm solely sitting in front of a book with no other distractions and no TV in the background and probably not even music on because that's when I can sit down and really focus and, and it's no different with God. If all we're going to do is just throw God in here and there in the middle of what we've already got going on, then you're probably not going to truly take the time to see all the stuff that he's doing. But if you can push all that other stuff away, there's nothing more important than giving God praise. There's nothing more important to drawing you deeper into that trusting relationship with God than taking that time to focus on what he's done. And, and pushing aside all the stuff that keeps you from seeing his holy temple. And what happens when he does this? He says, I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Once we've oriented ourselves towards God to see what he's doing, what we see is we see a God who in everything in our lives is acting in a loving and merciful and compassionate way. That word there, loving kindness, is the word hesed. It's used 240 times in the Old Testament, and it speaks of a loyal and steadfast love. It's not just simply God saying, okay, I love you. It's God saying, I love you, and I'm going to show you in so many ways, and I'm going to heap love on top of you, and I'm going to care about you, and I'm going to hold you, and I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to take you through anything you go through, and I'm going to be right there with you, and I'm not going to let you go. That's what that word is all about. And when we take the time to see what God is doing, and this is not just see what God is doing when things are great, this is see what God is doing when things aren't so great. This is see what God is doing when you're in pain, when you're in grief, when you're in suffering, when you're, when you're, when you're wondering where that next paycheck's going to come from. And take some time to, to say, God, I don't know where you're at in this, but I'm going to push all that aside and I'm going to focus on you and I want to see your loving kindness in my life. And I guarantee you when you do that, what you'll see is a God who is loving 
and gracious towards each one of us in many, many ways that we take for granted. And he says, give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Because what happens when we see that loving kindness? He ends this by saying, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. Because when we focus on God now, God has revealed himself in his word. So where should our focus be? It should be on spending time with God, focused on his word and in praise and prayer to him. And what happens is when we, we start reading his word and listening to God and hearing from God and recognizing his, his, his blessings in our life, we start to trust his word even more. We start to say, God, I can see where you were working in that. I didn't see it at the time. But now, because I've taken the time to look at it and, and see where your hand was moving, well, now I, can, I, I trust that when you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. And it drives us to trust his word, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. We just got through singing about this. And, and we say it and it's like, okay, God, we called on you and you answer. But if you think about it, there is no greater experience than to connect with God in this way. There is nothing better than being able to know that when we sit down and we push all those things aside and we say, God, I need to see you in this and listening for God and seeing him in the situation and hearing from him in those circumstances. If you have a friend who you call and you call and you call and you call, you make another phone call and they never answer your phone call. They never answer your text messages. They never respond to your voicemails. They never respond to your emails. Do you feel like they're very much of a friend? No. That's why the Bible says, David says, on the day I called you, you answered me at that very moment. Now, the problem with many times with us and our relationship with God and hearing him is that when I pray, I want God to kind of do what I'm asking him to do the way I want him to do it. And so if I pray and say, God, I've got this problem. And by the way, here's the answer to that problem. So I'm going to trust you that you're going to fix that. The problem is God's answers are sometimes not answers that I want to hear. My answer to that problem might be a whole lot of easier on me than God's answer to that problem. But God is sitting there saying, no, here's my answer. You may not like it, but here's the answer. And so, so instead of us saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk through it. We say, well, I don't like that answer. So God must not be there. So I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to go try to do it my way. And because I've got a better answer than God does. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, God hasn't done anything for me. Well, no, it's not. He didn't do anything for you. It's that you didn't like what he was doing for you. And you didn't know what was best for you. God knows my life, the end from the beginning. And he knows that I need to go through the times that are hard, the times that are tough. I need to maybe learn from my own mistakes. And I need to grow from those times. And we don't like to do that sometimes. You know, there's... Um, there. there there's a, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just my marriage. I'm assuming it's not. But as a guy, I think sometimes I, Beth, Beth will tell you better than I can. I have selective hearing loss, apparently, at some points in time. And um, I can get very focused and distracted on, on maybe I'll be sitting there in the living room working on doing emails or something. And she'll be trying to tell me something she did during the day or whatever. 
And, uh, and she'll be like, hey, did you even hear what I said? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, of course I did. Sure. I heard that. Be, and, and the problem is, at that point in time, I might have actually heard her talking. And I probably do know she did tell me something. The problem is not that I wasn't hearing. It's that I wasn't listening. And there's a whole lot of times where God is sitting there speaking to us, but because we're so distracted going back and tying it into this other part where we're not totally focused on him and all these other distractions in our life. And so instead of focusing on what God is trying to do, we're sitting there saying, God, you're, you're not, I, I'm, are you really talking? But we're, it's because we're not listening. And he's saying, yes, I do have something for you to learn. I do have an answer for you. But we're doing our own thing, and all, and and it's it's we have selective hearing loss, and we like it when we hear God say, "Yes, here's that new job with that great paycheck. Here's that new house that I just dropped in your lap." But we don't like to hear it when God says, "Guess what? You're going to face cancer. You're going to face the loss of a loved one. You're going to face a car wreck. You're going to face losing this job, and the things that are difficult to go through." And so. He says, you made me bold with strength in my soul. You see, the more we realize that we can call on God and that he will answer us and he will be there that we can, and we can trust what he says in his word, the more bold we can go through life. He says, you made me bold with strength in my soul. And I don't think that was just, you don't need boldness if everything's going great. You need boldness when things aren't going well at all. When it's hard to take that next step, when you don't know where, where, where the road is leading. And David says, the more I praised God, the more I saw what he was doing, the more I listened to him and heard God speak, the easier it was for me to take that next step, to be bold in the face of darkness. And so he goes on here and he says in verse four, all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord. When they have heard the words of your mouth and they will sing the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord. Now, what is he talking about here? He starts talking about all the kings of the earth. He's already focused on him as an individual worshiping and giving praise to God and focusing himself totally on God so he can see what God is doing in his life. And here's what I believe he's talking about, that the true worshiper when we begin to truly worship God and to push all the distractions out of our life and say, God, what are you doing and how can I best praise you for that? What happens is we can't help but tell others about it. And so we see evangelism happening. And I know it might be a stretch, but I don't think it is. John, I, I'm going to paraphrase. John Piper says that worship is the goal of all missions, meaning that missions and evangelism is not God's ultimate goal. We typically think that God's, we look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go and make disciples of all nations. And we think, well, that's God's ultimate goal. Go get, see people get saved and baptized. But that's not really his goal. His goal is to see everyone worship him. And so if God's goal is to see people worship him and true believers start to focus on him, push the distractions out of their life and praise him for what he's doing in their lives, then it's difficult for us to not tell other people what God is doing. And so we don't just come in here and praise God for things while we're sitting with fellow believers. We don't just go into our personal time with God and focus on him and, and, and walk away the same. We walk away 
wanting to tell other people how great our God is. Because we understand that life isn't about me. Life is about what God has done for me. And so when I go into my workplace, I can't just hold it inside that God gave me that job, that God was the one who gives me the abilities to do that job, that God is the strength that I have to get up every morning and go out into the world and to live my life in praise and worship to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what happens then is as we praise the Lord, we draw other people to praise the Lord. Now, is everybody going to respond to that? No. Unfortunately, until Christ comes back, there are going to be people who'd completely reject him. But that's not our job. Our job is to simply go and proclaim what God has done for us. And ultimately, one day, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And each one of us plays a tiny role in that. In, in, in when we go out into the world, declaring those praises and those blessings that he's given us, to the people around us. And that's how missions truly happens as we praise God. The truly thankful become the true mission-minded evangelist. You're never going to care about the person you work with who doesn't know Christ unless you're giving praise to God for all the things he's done for you. When you begin to realize that I don't deserve anything I have. I don't deserve the life that I have. I cannot live my life good enough to be anything but I recognize that I'm significant only because God looked down from heaven and showed me that loving kindness by dying for me on a cross and giving me a new life and a new birth and a new hope in Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 6 and he says, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. I'm reminded here of the story that Jesus tells in the, in the Gospels of the publican and the Pharisee. Jesus says that two, he, he said that he saw two people walking in the temple. One of them was a Pharisee. Now we all know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the godly people, quote unquote. They knew, they, they knew the law backwards and forwards and they could do the law backwards and forwards and they tithed on everything and they, they, they thought they were better than everything and they, they, you know, they couldn't touch certain things. They didn't want to get unclean. Who was the publican? The publican was a man who was a Roman tax collector. Everybody hated publicans because usually they were kind of cheaters and they would kind of get extra money from you by the way they did their business. And uh, so they, they were kind of known as the scum of the earth and the sinners in, in Jewish society. And Jesus said both of these men went into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, as he began to pray, looked over at the publican and said, God, thank you that I am not like that man. Because I follow your law. And he went on and told how great he was. And Jesus said, that man doesn't know God. And then the publican, Jesus said, bowed down on his knees. He got down on his knees and he began to beat his breast and to wail and to say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. And that's the way the man approached God. And Jesus said, that man knows God. And anytime we get a picture of God, our mindset for wholehearted praise is that I'm not worthy. It doesn't lead us to look at other people and say, well, I'm better than that person. Thank you, Lord, for what you did to me. It leads us to look at ourselves and say, God, I can't do anything to deserve this. 
I've done some horrible things in my life. I've even now I'm not I don't serve you the way that I should. And yet you died on a cross to give me a life. You loved me when I was unlovely. You still love me when I fail you. And you've promised me that I will be that you'll be with me for all of eternity. And so it drives us to a humility that only those of true praise can ever know. Because when you start looking at your blessings and you start saying, God, look what you did. All of a sudden, all that focus that makes us so prideful on ourselves goes away. Because our only focus, going back to what David said, is towards God, towards his presence, towards his holy temple. He goes on in verse 7 and he says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. What is he talking about here? Wholehearted praise in recognition of what God has done will lead you to trust God even more. David says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. There's no hint of doubt there. And I think what happened was as David began to focus on God, he started off by seeing God and he, he, he totally focused on him and he trusted in God. And as he trusted in God, he was able to look around and say, it, and he wasn't, he, wasn't trying to, um, he wasn't trying to be dishonest with himself. He knew there were problems. And he looked around and said, there is trouble, even though I'm walking in the midst of trouble. I can still trust that there's going to be a new day, that you're going to revive me, that you're going to give me the strength to go through it. And notice he's not telling God, take it away. I don't want to be in the middle of trouble. He had the same attitude that the psalmist is in Psalm 23 when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table beside me in the presence of mine enemies. That's not a request to get out of the trouble. That's a knowledge that God is with you in the middle of the trouble. And that's where praise will lead. That's why it's so important when it's hardest to count your blessings, that's the time to sit down and start counting your blessings. Because when you do that, it gives you the strength and the knowledge to understand that no matter what you're going through, God is right there in the middle of it with you. And sometimes that trouble is even of our own making and God's still right there with us. It could be of our making, someone else's making. Ultimately, a lot of times it's because other people are coming against us. And I believe, you know, the hardest trouble to deal with is something where it's completely out of your control. It's somebody who just, it, they don't like you. They don't like what you stand for. Maybe it's a personality conflict at work. Maybe it's somebody that just, you did something you don't even, may not even know, and it's never going to solve itself. And that's why David goes in and he says, you will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. You know, if I've got a problem with someone and, and I know they're upset with me, my first response is probably not this. My first response, if they make me, if, if it's not solved in a nice way, is probably not to try to, try to have this answer David did. It's probably going to be, well, you don't like that? Well, fine, I don't like you either. And we're just going to go at it. Um, maybe not physically, but you know, 
and so you have David here, though. He's, he's recognizing the same thing that Jesus said. How did Jesus deal with his enemies? He said, pray for those who despitefully use you. He said, turn the other cheek when they slap you on one cheek. That's not an easy thing to do. But the more that we praise God, the more that we understand that our lives are completely nothing without Him and that everything we have is because of Him and we're so grateful and thankful for that, then it's easier to have total focus on Him and say, Lord, these people that are coming against me, these people that want to see me hurt and injured and fall, you can take care of that. That problem is in your hands. And those are typically some of the hardest problems to deal with. But yet David was able to say, you will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. Ultimately, he recognized that God was all powerful. When it talks about the right hand, um, my name is Benjamin. We have another Benjamin back there. And Benjamin is literally son of the right hand. And the reason that name was given was because it rec- it's the son of the, it, it, the right hand is always represented as the hand of power, the hand of strength. And so anytime you see in the, <clears throat> in the Bible where it talks about the right hand, it's talking about the powerful hand. And, and, and David is recognizing that God's hand is all powerful, that with him, anything can be overcome. God only needs one hand. And as a matter of fact, he doesn't even really need a hand because he spoke the world into existence. For me, I need two hands to do the basics of life. God can literally, by speaking, create the environment that he has for you to be in. God is in control of everything in your life. He's in control of the situation with people that you have no control over. He's in control of your marriage. He's in control of your children. He's in control of your work situation and your home situation and your finances. And ultimately, if you are willing to focus on God and to live your life as he has called you and to trust him with your life, then you will see him do things that are abundantly greater than anything you can ask or imagine. And so he says, your right hand will save me. There was no doubt as he trusted God. Verse 8 ends with the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. What I see in verses 7 and 8 is a lot of hope. We can go through a lot of trouble. I believe David, when he wrote this, was probably not having the perfect life, even though we look at it and say, well, he's a king. Yeah, well, David ran away from, had to run away from a man trying to kill him for 15 years. He had to go fight a war in order to get an entire kingdom together under one ruler. He lost sons who went against him. And yes, he, he also committed sin that brought other trouble into his life. But David said, I trusted in God because I totally focused on him and praised him for what I saw God doing in my life. And because of that, he comes down to verse 8 and he says, I know that the Lord will accomplish whatever he wants to do with my life. You know, we can make all the plans for ourselves that we want. And we can say, Lord, I'm gonna, I, need to, I need to do this and I need to be here and I need to get this job and I need to do this. And we think we have our whole lives under control But God knows better than us what he's trying to accomplish with our life. And maybe his plan for us doesn't match the plan that we had in our head. 
But if we're willing to entrust our lives to him, when we look back and say, wow, look what you did here. Thank you so much. And look what you did here. And I know I can trust you more Then we get to the point where we can look at God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing in this situation. But all I'm going to do is praise you for it and thank you for it and trust that whatever's on the other side, you've got a plan that's bigger than me and the best life that I could ever live. And it may be a hard one. It may be an easy one. At some point, it's probably going to involve grief and loss that we don't want to go through. But ultimately, God has a plan and he knows what's best for our lives. And when we start to praise him, we can trust him with whatever our life takes us through. He ends with your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. He comes back to that word loving kindness. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. Philippians 1 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing a work in every one of our lives, in my life, in your life. From the day you accepted Jesus Christ, God knew that he had planned you for something. And you may not think it's very special, and nobody else in the world may think it's very special, but God, to God, it is the best plan and the perfect spot for you to be in. And if we will simply understand and trust the fact that he has done so many things for us to bring us to this point, and we can trust him with everything in our future, that's the best spot we can ever be in. And then we can understand with David that we we can say, do not forsake the works of your hands. Your life is a work in God's hands. Your life is is being molded and made to reflect what God is doing in this world. And you can either fight what God is doing and, and, and not see the blessings that he's put in your life, or you can respond in grateful praise for all the things that he gives to us each and every day. The way that I want to end this today and the way that Gunnar was hoping to end this today is we just want to take some time as a church after I pray to give you the opportunity to share what God is doing in your life and to give him open praise for maybe the way he, what he's done for you this past year, this past month, this past week, or even today. And some things that we could, you're thankful for uh, as a church family together. And then ultimately, we're going to respond by taking communion together, which is the greatest gift that any of us have to be thankful for. Because ultimately, it all started with what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. The fact that he gave himself to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, and we take a few moments to focus on what we have to be thankful for, we ask that you would be honored and glorified as we recognize where you're working in each one of our lives. We ask that you would help us to be able to push aside the distractions of the world around us, that we would be able to focus with clarity on all the blessings that you have given us, even when it, it, even, even when things, things seem tough and hard. And Lord, I just ask that you would be honored and glorified today in Christ's name. I pray. Amen.